Welcome back. Another episode of Sets and Reps. I'm Greg Adanian. It's good to have you here. Um, we're talking to Dan Rousseau, who uh, ended up working at my health club in Milford, New Hampshire, part-time. And he formerly worked with the Tampa Bay Rays as their strength and conditioning coach. So I get to sit down and chat with him, which is pretty special for me because even though I'm currently slated to become a physical therapist assistant, part of me wants to get certified to help condition athletes and prepare them for their season in whatever ways that they need. So I was really able to sit down with him and talk to him about, you know, how he got that certification, what it required, um, what kind of traveling he had to do how much time he actually spent programming with athletes and just different locations that he was able to go to things that he liked and disliked about the program. So it was really cool to sit down with someone who actually did the job because a lot of times people don't really know too much about this profession and what are some of the responsibilities that they have before we get into that episode. I want to also introduce a new segment that I'm going to be doing at the end of each of my intros. And this is a segment I like to call circuit training. Now I need your guys' help with this segment because today uh, the topic that I picked is something that I chose, but for each segment of circuit training, I want you guys to send me an email at sets and reps pod at gmail.com. And I want you to give me one brief concept about fitness, about nutrition, um, something along the lines of something that you're doing at the gym that maybe you have a question about, uh, anything that I can answer and explain for you, because basically that's what circuit training is going to be. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So I'm going to talk about muscle imbalances. When someone's speaking about a muscle imbalance, they're usually talking about two things. They're either talking about whether one muscle is overactive or working harder than the other one. And a lot of times that could be on the dominant side. For example, if you're right-handed, you do a lot of motions with your right arm, your right bicep might be bigger than your left one or stronger than your left one. Another thing that they may be talking about for muscle imbalance is whether or not one side is tight and you have a lot of pain on that side and that really limits your motion. So it could be that one side is working harder, just more active, and it could be the other side has a lot of pain and a lot of tightness. Why is this an issue? So if this is left unchecked, you could, if you're experiencing pain, you could be having more pain. You could make your situation a whole lot worse than it actually is. And if you're someone who's a bodybuilder and you're big into your physique and what you look like symmetrically or proportionally, if you got an imbalance in one bicep, for example, or one side of your deltoid is bigger than the other one, it's going to throw you off and you may not feel unhappy about it. So what I want to talk about is how you can fix that. Well, what are, what are some ways to work on these imbalances? So one of the simplest answers, especially for the one side that's working harder or the muscle that's more active, um, you're going to want to just push a few extra reps on that one side that's weaker. Um, sounds kind of simple, but personally for myself, it has worked the best for me. And when I say this, I mean, plainly, 
For example, if you are on a muscular hypertrophy program or you're trying to increase the size of the muscle, you're going to want to do about eight to 10 reps on the side that is stronger or more dominant. And on the other side that's weaker, you want to push it a little bit harder. So you want to do 12 reps on that side, 12 to 15. Um, give it a try. All right. Sorry, screen shaking. So the second thing that I would recommend you do is talk to a, a personal trainer or a physical therapist, especially if you have something that's just constantly giving you nagging pain and you really want to know why it's doing that. Um, and a lot of people may not have access to these resources. So what I did was I am providing two websites that I that come from individuals in the fitness industry, the movement industry that I trust and that I research from all the time as a coach and as a trainer myself, I get inspiration from those who have gone before me who know a lot more than me. Um, and I learn from them and help impart it to others. So one website you're going to want to go to if you have pain, for example, in your shoulder or your lower back and you want to know what's wrong with it. You want to know how you maybe can fix it. Go to squatuniversity.com. Check out the articles and information provided by Dr. Aaron Horshig, physical therapist and Olympic weightlifter. Um, he provides self screens that you can do on yourself tests to see what kind of movements trigger your pain um, and ways that you can fix it. So another website you're going to want to visit as well is drjohnrosen.com. John is also a physical therapist, but he's a uh, certified in strength and conditioning. And he has tons of articles about different ways that you can train your muscles innovatively, maybe in ways that you hadn't thought of before. And it, again, if you just type in what kind of issue you're dealing with into that search bar, you will find tons of different information and resources for you. So again, that was circuit training. Uh, this little intro segment, let me know what you think. Also shoot me an email assessandrepspod at gmail.com for the next topic you want to hear about in circuit training. And if you do that, I will give you a shout out in that introduction. I'll say who, uh, who let me know the question that they want to talk about. So, I'm going to slide on out of here and let you get right into this episode. Peace. How are you today, sir? How are you feeling? I'm feeling all right today. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Well. Glad to hear. I'm pretty excited for this episode. Looking forward to it. I started this podcast so that I could not only appreciate and continue to appreciate the things that I know and love, but I also want to learn about some things that maybe I don't know so much about. So that's part of the reason why we came here today um for our sports fans and our baseball fans in particular this might be a really exciting episode for you um so you have some experience working in with a professional team is that correct um can you tell us what team that you worked for yes i uh, worked uh for the tampa bay rays professional baseball organization awesome and i worked in their player development uh working mostly with minor leaguers but also worked with uh, major leaguers also okay and what i would like to do in the future my personal career i want to be a certified strength and conditioning coach um that's what you were right 
Yes, yeah. Uh, that is through the National Strength and Conditioning Association, or NSCA, uh, and they call it CSCS. That stands for Certified Strength and Conditioning Coach. That's awesome. Uh, for our listeners who maybe don't know what a Certified Strength and Conditioning uh, Specialist uh, does or their job description, could you give us a few facts? Could you, could you tell us what are some of the responsibilities of a Strength and Conditioning Coach? Well, basically, it's uh, I don't want to say they're a jack of all trades, but you really need to know a lot. Uh, you got to really know how the human body works and anatomy, the physiological systems, and uh, a lot of times people think when they when they think uh, they they, off, they often say strength coach, and but they leave out the conditioning part mm -hmm. um, because that's what most people uh, relate to is like working with weights in the weight room, uh, but conditioning aspect really obviously has is pretty broad in itself refers to you know running or any kind of conditioning uh, whether it's cycling or so it's it's all part of that gamut but uh as a strength and conditioning coach you basically um it's geared towards training athletes mm. uh, and um so that is what what the, uh, the i don't want to say the uh, nsca has a niche but that's basically what they created for themselves so that is why sometimes you will see a lot of people that work in sports, not just professionally, but collegiate level, high school level, who have that CSCS certification. Um, and it, it's generally one of the harder ones to get because they make it a little more difficult to obtain. Uh, you have to put some time into it. And uh, you do need a four-year degree, which for some people that is the only thing holding them back. Um, mm. But they do have a certified personal training certification that is, I think, might only require a two-year uh, degree. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, yeah like a like a CPT two-year or maybe G. Maybe they require a GED. I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget what the but um for my certification it, it uh, required a GED. I okay. I took the two-year uh, exercise science associates. Maybe potentially finishing my. Uh, exercise science bachelor's so that I can get the uh, CSCS there. But uh, yeah, just most likely it was a, a GED, but you're saying that they have their certificate, their personal trainer certification, which is not as hard to get as the CSCS. Um, I think the requirements are, I, I don't honestly, uh, I mean, I just got the CSCS and some people get both and I don't really see the need for to get both mm. um and honestly i can't give you a an honest answer as to differences between the two but i do believe the um sometimes people start with the cpt personal training and I, and that would be geared more towards if you were working maybe in a health club or uh at you know the general population versus teams you know sports teams and, and athletes yeah uh, that's kind of, that's my goal. That's my route right now. I mean, being a trainer myself, I talk about it a lot on the show, but it's what I'm passionate about. So um, I, that's kind of where I'm starting off health club gym setting. And then I want to maybe specialize later on uh, with uh, athletes. And so uh, that's, that's why I'm really honored to have you on the podcast and, and talk about your experience. Um, so thank you again. Um, so can you take me back to when you first started? What, what year did you start working with the Tampa Bay Rays? 
2007. Okay. Can you walk me through the process of like how you basically how you got that job? Um, yeah, actually, it was uh, kind of funny how I did it. Uh, I was working at the YMCA in Merrimack, New Hampshire. Uh, I was working there full time, doing a lot of personal training, uh, training a lot of athletes. And I basically took the, I started working at the Y part time, but but after getting certified in strength and conditioning, I wanted to get more experience. And the only way for me to do that was to, to really take a leap of faith and go work there full time. And that way there, I could jump right into it and I could design programs for, you know, athletes of all abilities, different sports and whatnot. And, and then I did some, uh, I, did, I did a summer of training at a place called Top Fitness in Nashua. So, but around that time, you know, I, I probably was at the Y uh, full-time, maybe three years, a little more mm -hmm. than three years where I realized it was time for me to maybe do something else. Uh, you know, I was working paycheck to paycheck and, uh, so anyways, I think it was around October, November of 2006, I was going to the NSCA website. They have a career job postings. I noticed Major League Baseball was had a lot of job, you know, openings for minor league strength and conditioning coaches mm. that they were structuring as an intern. And I thought, man, man, that'd be kind of cool. I like baseball. Um, so I just really got my resume together and it was easy to apply. You could apply right through the NSCA website, you know, just, it's very simple. I just kept going. Like all these teams were coming up, like you know, I probably applied to like 12 or 15 teams. Oh wow. And only a couple of them got back to me say they weren't hiring. So I kind of forgot about it. Like I, but it was funny. <laughs> I should say this about the race back then they were called the devil race. Yeah. And they were, they were always a last place team. And they were the last team I even, applied to because I just kind of got sick of sending out, you know, when you're, you're looking for jobs and you, you're not sure if it's, you just kind of do it on a whim and, you know, it's kind of like a far reach. So you're just sending out all these applications and you're not hearing anything. And so I almost like gave up and like, ah, devil rays. Nobody likes the devil rays. <laughs> but I was like, ah, let's just get one more <laughs> application yeah. out there. So that was like around, you know, November of 2006. Meanwhile, I was thinking about getting a, going to master's, to get a master's degree in strength and conditioning. I applied to a Springfield college. I went down there for an interview. Um, I got accepted into their program around, I don't know, December or January, but I got a phone call out of the blue sometime, I think it was January 12, 2007 uh, from Tampa Bay and asking me if I was, you know, they interviewed me. They weren't offering me the job right away, but they basically interviewed me. And um, they're basically screening me and they gave me like 24 hours to call him back if I was interested. And then I called the guy back the next day. He goes, oh yeah, a lot of people don't call me back when, uh, when they realize like you have to do drug tests and all that stuff that kind of scares some people away. But <laughs> so it's like, so um, I basically, I, I went, I went through his phone interview and, um, and then I got hired shortly after. And before I was scrambling to get my stuff, you know, ready and heading down the, I headed down to Florida uh, at the time uh, their spring training site was in St. Petersburg, Florida. Mm -hmm. And I went in a, uh, a little earlier than, uh, than the minor leaguers. Cause I got to spend some time with the big league players in big league camp. So uh, it was, it was really a good experience for me. Yeah. To be able to do that. You mentioned briefly, I just want to go back a little bit. You mentioned there's a mastering uh, masters in strength and conditioning uh, degree that you can get is, do you know, by any chance what the difference between that 
and just getting certified after a four-year degree? Uh, well, anytime you get a master's degree, you have to, uh, you know, obviously do some research and get a, you know, have a master's thesis. And mm. so it just carries a, a little more weight. Um, that, well, yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because um, I was, I was pretty much dead set on going to uh, Springfield College. I got accepted to their program. I think, yeah, maybe I could start that in the, in the fall. But um, my boss, who I was working with, was a pretty knowledgeable guy. And he's like, you know, Dan, uh, getting a master's degree in strength and conditioning really doesn't uh, put you that much ahead of anybody else um, mm. because you don't really have a license. Um, it may give you a, a better advantage over somebody else when it comes to hiring, but you really don't need it. He said, you should probably go into physical therapy because <laughs> then you can, you know, you can sign off on, you know, patients and you can still do training if you wanted to and things like that. So, um, it kind of got me thinking a lot and I ended up not going to uh, Springfield college for the master's degree. And then, um, mm. so, which, you know, which meant that I was going to stay in baseball another year. Cause I had to research, you know, do some research on, on going to physical therapy school. So I started looking into that, uh, which I ended up doing, I ended up going to, Physical therapy school, get accepted. It was kind of a long story. Uh, I had been out of school for such a long time that mm. uh, the course, I was doing well with the courses, you know, but it was a lot, so much information was being thrown at, at me that I uh, unfortunately wasn't able to finish the program, but I did learn a lot while I was in there. I'm going yeah. through it. Yeah, I'm going through it right now, like like part of it, and it's, it is a ton of information. Um, yeah, if you hadn't been in school, like I hadn't been in school, probably it was like 17 or 18 years uh, since I, you know, was actually in a college, you know, when I got my bachelor's degree. So um, a lot of times those PT schools will make you take courses over if, if you've been out of school like five or, or 10 years. And, and the school that I was going to at the time didn't require that, which for me, I probably should have taken some prerequisites just to get me back into that, you know, swing of things. But it is what it is. Um, I learned a lot in physical therapy, and then I, and then I went back in baseball, uh, 2012. Okay, so. all right. So when you worked with the team, you said you were with the minor leagues for a while, and you were with the major leagues for a while. What was the differentiation there? Um, I'm I'm coming from a perspective where I don't know too much about how the teams and how the leagues uh, that you know the the teams break down within the leagues. Um, so where did you okay. spend most of your time? Well, honestly, when I say major leagues, a lot of people think there's this vast difference between majors and minors, which there is, but you're, you're work, you're all working together in spring training. I mean, spring training where we use the same facilities, the same weight room, the same athletic training room, uh, we're use the, uh, same baseball fields you know we're just not on there at the same time but we are crossing paths and and you constantly have like minor leaguers that are going up and playing in, in spring training games uh usually you know with split squads and and then uh, like when i said i went down there for spring training i got to go down for big league camp which means i just got to work with the go a little bit early and work with the major leaguers until minor leaguers came in like a couple weeks later so uh but yeah, a lot of people really think there's this, you know, big difference between majors and minors. I mean, which there is on a skill level, but 
they're still professional athletes and you got guys that are in rookie ball who can throw 95 miles per hour and you know even you know but they're not in the big leagues you know so it's just a it's it's just a, a long process of refining their talent if they ever make it to the major leagues yeah so. okay very good so if they're in the minor leagues they de that means that they're most likely on their way up and that they're they're heading for that second spot, which, as you said, is not necessarily, you know, in skill level. And may, major leagues may be higher than minor leagues, but everyone together is still a professional athlete. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, they, they, yeah, a lot things have changed a lot. Like, um, I think we used to have like ten levels of minor league uh, baseball, like starting from uh, rookie levels down in the. Uh, we have a Latin American academies in, in Venezuela and, and Dominican Republic. And then we have like, we had like two rookie leagues in the United States, a short season single A team and two, two single A long seasons, double A, triple A. So that's a lot of teams uh, that you're, you know, that's what people don't understand. There's so many levels of minor leagues, uh, which um, actually, un unfortunately, uh, after last year, they they reduced the the levels, so there's they reduced a lot of those short season rookie teams. So there's going to be less minor league players now or minor league teams. But uh, but anyways, I, I started uh, at AAA back in 2007 uh, because uh, Tampa Bay at the time hired. It was the first year they had strength coaches on all their minor league levels. Mm -hmm. So um, I was a little older, so they figured I could possibly handle the, the triple-a guys more gotcha. when you get when you have triple-a players you have a lot of players that have been in the major leagues or or on the on the verge of going to the major leagues and the best i can describe triple-a as is it's it, it's a reserve for the big leagues in other words if ever, when someone gets hurt in the big leagues a guy in triple-a is ready to move up mm. so yeah Okay, that and makes then sense. your lower level, your lower levels are more player development. That's where they, you know, they, they, it's not all about so much about winning. It's more about developing players and, and, you know, improving their skills. And that meaning that lower level is in its below triple A level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, you know, your rookie balls, your single A, uh, double A you're getting, you really, if you made it to double A, you've, you've really accomplished something as a baseball player. Um, double A has a lot of good players, um, and a lot of those players have been in triple A or, uh, when a player has been around for a long time, sometimes they, they can become a free agent. So, the, mm. there's such a need for players because players are always getting hurt and you need players with experience. So double A, you get a lot of players who are, are, you know, capable and, and ready to go and, and. And that's uh yeah like I said someone once told me that if you made it to double A in base professional baseball then you've you've accomplished something. Wow, and then I assume that means that Class A is like your top of the line, uh, high level, right? Single A. Single A. Uh well well triple A is your highest level. Oh got you. Yeah right. so you you go yeah sorry uh triple A would be before the big leagues and you get your double A and then below that you have single A. Um, and single A has, it's a little complicated because you can have what's called short season single A. You can have um, what they call advanced single A and just single A. So it's, it's, it's kind of complicated. Unless you follow minor league baseball, it's really, 
hard to really uh, maybe grasp, I guess. Mm. Um, gotcha. And it changes a lot too. Like, like I said last year, they MLB axed a bunch of minor league teams. So, uh, especially with COVID, it's it's gonna that's gonna change everything because a lot of players, well, a lot of players didn't get any playing time last year because of COVID. So it's gonna be interesting how they they can try to get back into the game. Absolutely. Yeah. COVID has done a number on a lot of people in a lot of different ways for sure, but I'm sure athletes kind of deal with it the most. Um, right. So we'll definitely see how that changes going on in the future. Um, I want to take it back real quick to the CSCS. You mentioned that there was a certification uh, exam or uh, a certification that you needed to get after the four-year degree. Do you recall what specifically from the exam that you took translated directly over to your job? Like what, what are some things that you studied and took the test for and then right away you were able to apply them? Well, uh, one thing is uh, a lot of the uh, tests that they had in there were applicable to uh, like some of the performance tests, like a 300-yard shuttle, um, some, some of those things that we were, they do it a lot in sports. Um, and especially, uh, proper techniques like squatting, uh, they really break down things like squat, how to, how to spot, look what the things to look for. And, uh, of course your energy systems, like how it applies to, to sport and the demands of the sport. Very important and, stuff. Yeah. So, uh, one thing about the yeah, the NSCA, they try to they try to really be an expert in every every sport, which is sometimes it's funny. Like you can read a lot, but until you actually work in the in the field, then you realize, you know, what what you learn, you uh, on your own or outside of in the sport doesn't really makes sense until you're actually working in, in baseball. And then you can pick or, you know, how to apply it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, you really have to use a lot of discernment. That's really what it comes down to when you're as a, as a strength and conditioning coach as to what's, what's applicable for your team. So it fortifies your toolbox. It gives you the knowledge, gives you what to do, how to do when it comes to, programming when it comes to training and then you 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 know you're saying that experience is the best teacher basically right well yeah think of it as like say you go to a, your uh you get a professional degree in something and that's just the starting point and then you have to continue with, with your education continue education units um to keep your skills sharp and and then and that there's lots of ways you can do that attending conferences reading articles, um, just, and then that's actually required of you that to maintain your certification. It's not like a one-time thing where you pass it and then you never have to do anything else ever again. They, they do every three, three years, you, you, you're up for renewal. So. That's you. I'm coming up for my personal trainer one pretty soon. I've had it for almost two years. So it's every, every two years recertify. Right. Right. Can you talk to me about things that you were able to see from the weight room, from the turf, directly transfer over to the field when working with your athletes? From the weight room? 
Yeah, like what I assume you went and you were you were with the team uh-huh. watch watching the games, right? While they uh-huh. were playing on the so were, was there anything in particular that you noticed like, you know, whether it was how the athlete their running technique, their sprinting technique for longer distances, how that improved uh after focusing on that kind of stuff together in the weight room? Uh, well, that's a good question. I mean, it's funny. Uh, a lot of times that that's a process that develops, uh, I would say, more outside the weight room if you're talking about running skills. And one, a big part of, uh, you know, our day is doing like a dynamic warm-up. And, and, and during that dynamic warm-up, we would incorporate a lot of drills coordination drills that help, you know, uh, develop the movement skills necessary to, to play on the field. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, when I say dynamic warm up. I think, you know, anybody that's in strength and conditioning knows what that means. It's usually like basically like a, like a jumping jack or high knees, like to that, that's a type of movement, but they would get it. They would get more specific, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, we do like these, things called striders, which are not an all out sprint, but faster than a jog. We do high knee runs, uh, power skips, uh, side shuffles, karaoke, uh, backward run, uh, you know, all kinds of drills like with a skips, B skips, things like that. Uh, marching drills, stuff like that. If you do it, it becomes repetitive and sometimes players, you know, they get kind of tired of it because we're doing the same things a lot, but that's how they really reinforce the movement skills by doing it repetitively. And anybody that has tried those will, will know what I mean, because it's just like anything, you're learning a skill. And the only way to really do that is, is to be specific and do it. And that, and those drills, that'll, that'll preps the body to do more act, more activities. Then we'll do some like running mechanic drills after that with our position players. Um, and usually those are like short sprints, uh, 20s, 30s, 40s. And we do some things called build-ups where we, every like 20 yards, you build up your speed and go out maybe 60 yards or 80 yards. And, and that's just necessary to, to develop their conditioning, but uh, also to prevent them from you know, pulling hamstrings or things like that. That's important because injuries are severely detrimental to athletes and, uh, and can, you know, their career that's big time goes on, on hold, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, getting back to the weight room, uh, you know, we like to uh, focus a lot on, you know, the, the, what we call the absolutes, uh, you know, when I say absolutes, like working your lower body, uh, try to work lower body functionally, squats, deadlifts, lunges, things like step-ups, uh, upper body, do some pulls, do some pushes, uh, get some uh, rotational, something with a rotational component in it, um, maybe some plyometric stuff. But um, we try to keep it as functional as possible because uh, we want the athlete to be able to move. And, and uh, so sometimes when I was taking players to the gym, they, you know, we were on the road, we'd visit, we'd go to these, you know, just public gyms and players would want to, they'd see all these machines and they love doing machines. For some reason, everybody loves machines, but I would try to get them away from that as much as I could. You know, there's no reason why somebody should be doing leg extensions, 
you know, those thigh machines and whatnot. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, yeah, I have my own, like, whenever I get a question about machines in the gym, whenever someone asks me about machines, I say they're great for isolating muscles. For example, yeah. your leg extension, you want to work on, you want to work on isolating that quad muscle so you can build up the size, pump some blood in there, then that's fine. But if you want to increase your total body strength, you can, I mean, anyone knows that you can get so much stronger doing exercises on your feet, freely moving free motion versus, you know, sitting in the chair. Um, yeah. I mean, that's supporting. what we try to, that's what we try to tell uh, people. And uh, there's a term that was kind of getting thrown around like 20 years ago called uh, sports specific training. And uh, that's kind of a, a, a misnomer of a term because honestly, I mean, you know, sport specific would to me can mean like it's as close to the sport as you can get. And, and, and um, so some sports exercises you do in the gym are maybe a little more specific than others. Like uh, squatting might be more beneficial to a NFL or, you know, American football alignment or something versus say a pitcher, but it's still a good exercise to do. So, um, so yeah, sports specific, it, it's, it's kind of a minute, a misnomer, but of a term, it can be it's kind of a general term, but, um, but the closer you can get to like functional meaning, like on your feet, uh, you know, using your whole body versus not sitting down or on a machine, the closer you're going to get to being what's called sports specific. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent, man. And that people like us, that's, that's what we're here to enforce and facilitate. So um, can you tell me about anything involving your experience with the CSCS certified strength and conditioning specialist that you didn't enjoy uh, anything, you know, maybe in your job working with the Rays, was there a part of it that you was not your favorite? Oh, being a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Uh, like what I didn't enjoy. Um, if anything, if not, then great. Well, I guess initially it was a little bit of a, I thought I was going to be doing a lot more um, uh, on, on a day during my day, but what I found out I was doing, uh, we had long days, but we weren't working a lot, meaning because when you do a little bit in the morning and then you take, then you have some downtime, then you do a little bit more in the afternoon, then you get some downtime, then you're playing the games and then you might be working out after a game, say it's in spring training. But um, I had to get used to being uh, there all the time and strength and conditioning was not the only, you know, part of the piece of the, the daily pie, if you will, mm -hmm. everyone wants a piece of that pie. So, you know, there's this batting practice, there's infield practice, there's base running, there's, and then you have your games. So, um, yeah, that's why and initially there was a lot of turnover of strength coaches because they, it's long days. Spring training is every day. There's no days off. Uh, I remember uh, I asked a dumb question, like, um, do we have the weekend off? And they told me, uh, no, every day is like a Monday here. <laughs> You'll sleep when you're dead. <laughs> no. Basically, yeah. So, and the spring training games weren't very, uh, weren't very exciting. They're just like, there's really no fans. It's just 
kind of like exhibition games. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't good, but it was just, it wasn't the same until the actual season started where you're playing in front of a crowd and you're playing in a stadium and, and the, the, the games really mean something and spring training. It's not about like a lot of times we didn't even know who won sometimes just because it's just about players getting innings, pitchers getting their innings, player bat, hitters getting their at bats and things like that. It's just getting them ready. So you mentioned different roles, different people that are responsible for working with these athletes. Um, specifically, you talked about batting or infield base running, which sounds like sports specific things like that term that you used for baseball. Um, can you tell me about other important clinicians or people who had roles working with the athletes? Um, I'm, I'm specifically interested about the mental skills coach. Do you know anything about the mental skills coach? Yeah, actually, uh, I think uh, mental skills coaches started uh, coming into the game, or at least in our organization was five five years ago. Uh, they started hiring uh, – actually, it was more than five years ago. Um, I think five years ago we started getting uh, more in the minor league levels, but um, in the major leagues they've always had a mental skills coach. And, and uh, those guys usually – try to work one-on-one, get to know the players a little bit and find out what's going to, uh, uh, maybe they can help them overcome something. And, and because, uh, you know, a lot of players, uh, you know, they're, they're just like you and I, they, they, they have issues that, you know, even though they're professional, they, they can perform at a high level and usually they were the best in their, you know, high school or college. And, uh, but they, now they're playing against other people who are as good or better than them. And, 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 uh, it's a hard game. So sometimes just having somebody to talk to that isn't say your manager, hitting coach, pitching coach, you can maybe open up to a little more. That's where the mental skills, uh, coach comes in in handy. So like a, like a sports therapist kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we even, you know, we even had like a team psychologist, but that's, that's entirely different. That's someone that's not so much mental skills, but more of the, you know, licensed clinical psychologist that can, uh, you know, answer questions and and give them the right resources if they need medications or things like that. So great. Thank you so much for that. how about athletic trainer? How often did you collaborate with an athletic trainer or did you even, did you talk to one at all while you were working with athletes? Oh, that was, yeah. The athletic trainer is someone you work with a lot, pretty much one-on-one. You gotta, you have to get along with your athletic trainer for sure, because that's one thing I learned right away. And actually that even asked me that on the, in an interview, like, um, you know, if you were, um, the athletic trainer told you not to do something, would you, would you like listen to him or, Mm. and and, and that was a key because the athletic trainer really is responsible for, you know, keeping these guys healthy and they have generally a lot more experience in, in dealing with, you know, injuries and whatnot. And it's, it's part of their, you know, their practice there. So, as a strength and conditioning coach, you have to respect that. And um, so you learn quickly to, to actually work with the athletic trainer. And actually you can even, ass- I've often had to assist them uh, when the athletic trainer was camping in two places at once. Like sometimes like during a game, 
you know, the athletic, tra athletic trainer has to stay in the dugout and watch the game, but a pitcher comes out of the game and he's going to go do some arm care or shoulder care. So I'll take the uh, uh, pitcher into the clubhouse and I'll do some exercises that helps with the recovery of their shoulder, elbow, you know, rotate a cuff stuff, do some core exercises and, and maybe a little bit of conditioning. So, uh, yeah, well, what's one thing I definitely, uh, you, you work probably the most with your athletic trainer and, uh, and it's good to communicate with the athletic trainer because then they ask you like, how is this guy working in the gym? Uh, does he, you know, how is he and, and, and vice versa? Like sometimes if, if, an, if some players, if they're not cooperative with you, they're probably not cooperating with the athletic trainer also. So it's, mm -hmm. you share information and you, and you, it helps with just everybody being on the same page. That's cool. I, uh, I like how there's a partnership and, you know, a little bit more of a understanding that there needs to exist between the two parties there. Um, it's almost like the, you know, supervising therapist and the physical therapy assistant in, in that setting. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's a good, that's a good, uh, good analogy. Yeah. You, you have to work together and, um, otherwise, yeah, you're just going to have, it's going to make for a troubling season. Not going to help that. Yeah. Not going to help that client or that patient to, right, uh, right. to get to where they need to be in your training, in your programming, can you remember methods or exercises that you used back in the early days, 2006, 2007, that if you looked at them now or you looked at training athletes now, those ways would be obsolete or things that they wouldn't do anymore? Um, not really. I mean, uh, people think uh, it's funny you say like 2006, 2007. <laughs> I remember, uh, no, no, it's funny you say that because I remember in 2013, uh, I had a player who's kind of been around for a while. I was in AAA, and he was kind of complaining about our training manuals. Like, ah, oh, that you've had the same uh, training manual since 2006. A lot has changed since since 2006. So I told my my boss that, and he kind of laughed. Like, yeah, a lot has changed. Like he would, sh my boss would show me stuff from like the early 1900s that people were doing, like, uh, you know, uh, glute ham bridges and. Oh yeah, hip thrust, barbell thrust. They were doing a lot of that stuff. It, a lot of things people think stuff changes, but sometimes things go in cycles and they come back. Um, so I remember med ball started coming back into uh, use, like I don't know, last twenty years, and um, and everybody thought that was like new stuff too. But med balls, you can there's pictures of Babe Ruth, uh, you know, with a med ball, or you know, so it's that's cool. Yeah, so I can't really say anything is obsolete. Um, honestly, uh, people try. The thing is, people try to get more uh, specific in everything they do. But I don't know. I mean, sometimes people get away. The, the, what I've seen happen more is people get away from the basics more, like uh, running, for example, um, because a lot of athletes go to uh, facilities. Uh, indoor facilities in the off season where they have limited space, you know, they might have 30 or 40 yards of turf to run on. So they just do short distance uh, sprints. Yet when we have them come onto the field, we make them do maybe, uh, you know, pitchers like a hundred yards, 150 yards, 200 yards. 
and they're like, well, I don't need to do that because I never run that in a game. But, you know, it's you still need to, you know, what we call like the uh, overload principle. And it, so it's like you just can't do the same thing all the time. So but yeah, what I've seen is actually a trend where people are doing less running because of the facilities they go to in, in some of these places uh, because, you know, they, they don't offer more space to run than they think you don't need it. <laughs> So. It's hard. It's hard sometimes. Like exactly like the, you know, the space factor I have athletes doing like 10 yard drills and stuff like in, in the small amount of space that we have in the Hampshire Hills athletic club, uh, indoor tennis court that we've repurposed into the gym. So I could definitely, I, I well, know. yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's not bad if that's all you have. I mean, that, that's great. But I, I think, yeah, when an athlete is, uh, you know, going back, you know, to their actual, you know, field of play, um, they can't, you know, obviously they, they need to be able to start running more um, because like we've, we've had a lot of athletes who have come in out of shape because someone told them they didn't need to run much, you know, but if that's all you have is, yeah, you can work on those things, but yeah, and it's hard, especially like our athletes that were in the winter time, like they, you know, if you're like in like Minnesota somewhere and it's so cold and, you just can't get out and run, then we tell them maybe do, you know, do some treadmill sprints or something, you know, that's better than nothing. So. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Can you tell me uh, if you wanted to train with any other sport or any other sports team as a strength and conditioning specialist, besides the Tampa Bay Rays, who would you be? What would be your second choice? Baseball. Sure. Or, yeah, yeah, we'll do baseball, and then I want you to tell me what other what other sport. So, okay. Um, first, what baseball team would be your second choice working for? And the second question is, which sport would you want to be a strength and conditioning specialist for? You know, it's funny when I started working in, in uh, with Tampa Bay. Uh, your perspective changes. You don't really start looking at teams as you know, oh, I'd really want to play, I really want to work for them. Like, I, you know, I'd like to work for the Yankees or the Red Sox because, because everybody likes the Yankees and Red Sox. Um, sometimes you look at organizations that, you know, maybe develop their players, uh, put a lot into player development. Um, I know teams like, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox have a lot of money so they can go out and buy free agents. So sometimes working for your smaller market teams, like Tampa Bay, they need to develop players more. So maybe as far as job satisfaction, you would, uh, you know, maybe some, some team that was a small market, you may have better uh, uh, opportunities there to, to train athletes more, but that's not really the case. So I really, I, it'd be a hard time, hard for me to really answer that question. Um, I think honestly, uh, there's 30 major league teams and, and 15 of them have their spring training sites in Florida and the other 15 are in Arizona. So if I've, I've always been in, in, in Florida, I think I'd like to go uh, maybe uh, spend some time out in Arizona. So like some teams out there, like the San Diego Padres or mm. uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, uh, San Francisco, Giant, the Giants, there's a lot of teams out there, Arizona Diamondbacks that maybe um, that would be maybe a next move for me. Awesome. Yeah. And then what about sport? If it were, if there was another sport besides baseball to work conditioning athletes for? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, 
honestly, uh, I think uh, I think I'd like to train soccer players. Um, mm, yeah, I know, like, because those they they work hard, and I know uh, they also have a lot of injuries, like lower extremity injuries, knee injuries. Um, I'd like to really work with soccer players, especially working on their lower body uh, strengthening, so that maybe they could prevent some of those injuries. Uh, when I was in college, I did some, uh, when I was in PT school, I did uh, like a research, a lot of research articles uh, on uh, preventing ACL injuries, non-contact ACL injuries and why they recurred. And 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 and, so, and soccer had a high prevalence of ACL injuries, especially in, in female uh, soccer players. Um, so, but there weren't like a whole lot of studies done as to prevent those injuries. and. But I, I know, like uh, in soccer, it's just because there's all the conditioning and the cutting they do. It's they're more prone to, you know, some knee injuries. So I, th- I think soccer players would be a challenge to work with. And I think they would, because they're hard workers, they would be open to, uh, you know, training and, and and, you know, especially if it could help them prevent some injuries. I think they would be good to work with. Yeah, it's hard. It's probably hard to find a lazy like a lazy soccer player. So you can definitely put them through all my all my soccer players out there know like you know they'll put in the work when when you give them something to do yeah yeah usually they're eager uh sometimes you know they probably a lot of times soccer players you have to actually probably rein them in because they're probably doing too much work like too much running or something they need to but that's where you come in and you can get them to do the things that maybe they don't know they need to do or things that might help them and so that that then that really that's really what comes down to like as a strength and conditioning coach is you have to make those decisions that are going to benefit the athlete and not just trying to you know copycat a program that's you know say geared towards soccer players maybe you need to really look what they're doing and 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 what they're not doing and then try to you know add something to it to that program so you know, we don't have to say names, but can you think of any particular situation where a athlete or player didn't, uh, you know, wasn't compliant with, with what you had planned for them and they were kind of causing like, you know, they, they didn't want to do one thing in particular and either they, you know, hurt themselves because of it or, or something like that where it didn't necessarily go the way that you had intended for them. Oh yeah. I, I won't say mention any names, but I always think of this one player who back in 2013, he was a new to the organization. Uh, a lot of eyes were on him and he did not want to work out at all. He's one of those guys who was so talented that it was hard for like, hitting coaches to, or even outfield coaches to, to even work with them. Sometimes they'd come into town, like I wasted my time because he doesn't listen to me. So he didn't really listen to me either. So like uh, we would give, we do reports uh, twice a month and, you know, I had to fill out a report, you know, how many gym days we went how, and how many times this person attended the gym and then I'd have to rank them on, you know, how well they worked or whatever. And I'd have to maybe write up a little summary on, on each player. Well, this one player had zero workouts. Wow. <laughs> so that, yeah. For, for like April, uh, the first half of April. And that raised a lot of red flags. I mean, I got phone calls like coordinators and the farm directors like, oh, we can't have this. This guy's, you know, he's probably going to be going to major leagues this year. 
So my uh, my boss, the coordinator, comes into town and we sit down with this player and come up with a plan for him to do, you know, basically a workout every every home, every uh, four game stand or whatever. And I just basically did some basic pulling exercise, lower body exercises, pressing exercises, something with rotation like med ball throws and. And then, uh, and then I also had to get him to, to warm up. He was the type of guy that wouldn't even do a dynamic warm up. He would lay on the ground and stretch his hamstrings out. Meanwhile, everybody else around him is doing all these, you know, you know, sprints and high knees and dynamic stuff, and they get themselves loose. And they're sitting, there, they're seeing this guy just stretching. <laughs> I said, "Look, uh, you know, you, you know, you're gonna like uh, pull a hamstring or something." So then he'd go and do some running. It's it, he was really hard to work with, but he made it up to the big leagues that year. So. But, well, good for him. Like honestly, he yeah. you know, if he was successful then that that is what it is, but he didn't get injured or anything like that. No, well the thing is the guy was like really strong and um he would throw a med ball at me and it almost knocked me over. And <laughs> um he had a really strong he, he was just naturally strong uh, guy that and even he would joke like uh no, he's a world-class athlete, he'd call himself a world-class athlete, which he was. Um but and and those guys, a lot of those guys can get by and just on their pure talent. But as they get older, they can get hurt very easily. I've seen guys with really good physiques, you know, chiseled abs, and uh, but they don't work out very hard. And then they have a, you know, they get over age 25 or 28 years old and they have a collision with another player in the outfield or something. And they just, they're on the DL for like two or three months. Whereas there was a guy that might have been in better shape, you know, he'd, get up and walk away from it. Uh, I mean, think of like your NFL players. Those guys are, you know, are in good shape. They get, they fall down all the time and they, yet they get back up and, you know, but sometimes like a baseball player, he has a collision. He's, he's really hurt. A lot of times it's, you know, they may be great athletes, but they, they, that's where the, you know, working out, that's what people don't realize is it's not always about getting stronger. It's just being, making your body more resilient uh, and being able to, uh, you know, just to take the daily grind of, of playing and, and maybe, you know, falling and colliding and things like that. I really like that. That's that's a uh, a good way to kind of sum up a lot of the things that we've talked about here today. Um, I have one final question for you before we wrap it up. Um, so I, I want to thank you. We, we talked a lot about the role of the strength and conditioning specialist when it comes to training professional athletes. And I want to end it with kind of like a hypothetical type of question. If there was in existence, right, a license, some kind of license, some kind of seven year, it could be, you know, physical therapy, for example, is a doctorate degree, right? So this field, this field could be a doctorate degree, could be a master's degree, but essentially something that combines the uh, physical presence, uh, a clinical presence of a physical therapist when it comes to movement and injury rehabilitation combined with the performance power development uh, of the strength and conditioning coaches, like those two things coming together in one giant, uh, you know, pr profession or one kind of, how do you feel that would change like the sports industry, uh, the, the healthcare system, fitness industry? Does, does, does that make sense? 
Actually, yeah, what you just said, what you just said makes a lot of sense and the stuff I've thought about that a lot. Like, um, when I, when I actually interviewed at, at Springfield college, I was, you know, one of my questions was, do you get any like clinical experience? Uh, you know, would you be able to work maybe like, you know, like maybe a clinic with, you know, say physical therapy and, and the answer to that was pretty much no, not really. Cause it doesn't gear you. It's more geared to training athletes. Um, and and that's why my, my boss at the time was trying to get me to go in the direction of physical therapy. But one thing I learned about when I was in physical therapy is that, you know, when you're working in some of these clinics and you work with patients, you don't get to spend a whole lot of time with the patients. And most of those people that are coming in, uh, you know, they don't work out. They're not, they don't exercise on a regular basis. So they get hurt fairly easily. And, and a lot of times, you know, the backs, they have back problems and because they have weak cores and they're just in bad shape. And I'm thinking, man, you know, this person just needs a general fitness program just to get in shape. And, and, and I often thought I could do way more uh, as like a personal trainer just in the gym with this person than I could in a clinic uh, working with them for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes than give them a home exercise program. <laughs> exactly. But unfor- unfortunately, the uh, this, you know system doesn't work that way. And, 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 and I understand why it doesn't. But I mean, um, but I think, you know, uh, a lot of times personal trainers and, and strength and conditioning coaches are undervalued. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but um, yeah, I mean, if there were some way of having some kind of license, I know they, they talk about a lot about that, but, I, I, um, but you know, like I said, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. Um, I know there's a, I think there was a, um, some teams like major league teams had a strength and conditioning coach that was also, a, a physical therapist uh, because sometimes some some people like the they like training athletes so much that they'd rather do this you know strength and conditioning than just say working in a clinic working work on patients and and some of the people i went to school with even after they finished and started working in the field kind of envied me envied me because I got to do the more fun stuff and they were mostly doing paperwork, you know, which you'll find like if you're going in for a PT assistant, you're doing more of the hands-on and the, the physical th- physical therapist is more just doing a lot of paperwork and maybe sees the patients, you know, once every three or four weeks. I don't know. Or I don't know, but you know what I mean? Exactly. PT will be doing a lot of the documentation. I'll definitely yeah, exactly, a ton of documentation. Exactly, too, exactly. All right. Well, thank you. I learned a lot in this conversation and it's nice to actually get an inside look. Um, you know, it reminds me of like career day when I was younger. It just gives me an inside look of actually someone who has worked in the field that I want to go into. Um, so thank you very much for your time today. All right, Greg, you're welcome. And, it was actually quite enjoyable. Uh, I like having these chats. It kind of forces me to, you know, stay up on things. And in case I have a, an interview, it'll keep, it'll, at least I'll be a little more prepared to answer these questions. <laughs> yeah, man. Best of luck to you. That's, you know, do the work, put in the work to, to get where you need to be. And I know that you'll thrive in, in whatever situation you end up in. All right, Greg. Yeah, All right. it's good talking to you. Thank you. We'll be signing off. Have a wonderful night. All righty. All right.